It's infrastructure week, which means a lot of stuff is happening that has nothing to do with infrastructure. Michael Avenatti is probably going to prison and Quentin Tarantino stands up for himself. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Ah, the news cycle grows ever more ridiculous and we'll get to all of it. But first, in quarter one, gold purchases by central banks were the highest in six years. I'll bet you did not know that considering how good the economy is. But in the face of the dollar's declining stature, what exactly are you doing to protect your savings? Become your own central bank, move some of your savings to gold. Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Hedge against inflation, hedge against uncertainty and instability with precious metals. Some of the economic indicators are looking a little volatile these days. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be too. It doesn't mean take all your money and stick it under the mattress. It means you should have some money in precious metals. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. Right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move that IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which could be good for people who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings. It has never been worth zero. Birch Gold Group are the folks I trust. They have thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews. Contact Birch Gold Group, get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. Go check them out right now. And if you want that no-obligation kit, they have a 16-page kit. Text Ben to 474747. Again, text Ben, my name, to 474747 for that no-cost, free-of-obligation, 16-page comprehensive kit about whether to invest in gold or not. Check it out. Text Ben to 474747 and talk to my friends at Birch Gold. Alrighty, so yesterday, the big news, obviously, was that President Trump had a big blow-up with Nancy Pelosi. This all, this all sort of launched with Nancy Pelosi accusing President Trump of engaging in a cover-up preemptively. Now, she's still not clear exactly what it is that Trump is covering up. And th this is the part that, that nobody seems willing to discuss. What exactly is Trump covering up? So Trump obviously doesn't want to cooperate with Congress because he's ticked off that they won't leave him alone. Maybe he wants to cover up, presumably, his finances. Maybe he just doesn't want them digging into his personal affairs. But they have actually not accused him of any criminal activity. They can't explain what it is he is trying to cover up at this point, like at least in Watergate, you knew what Nixon was trying to cover up. He was trying to cover up whether or not he knew about the Watergate break-in. And that was the cover-up. The cover-up was of a crime. What is the crime that Democrats are accusing President Trump of? We've already had the Mueller report. The Mueller report concluded with no crime, no finding of criminal activity. And Democrats are still accusing Trump of engaging in a cover-up. Now, maybe he's trying, as I say, to cover up material that is non-criminal in nature, but that is not a quote-unquote cover-up. That is him just trying to not disclose to the public stuff that is embarrassing. So it's a cover-up in sort of a colloquial sense, but in a legal sense, it's not a cover-up. Normally, when people say something is a cover-up, what they mean is that you are covering for illegal activity. But if I don't want you to know what I got my wife for her birthday, and you subpoena information about that, and I say no, I suppose that's a cover-up, but not really in the way that the Democrats mean it. Here's Nancy Pelosi accusing Trump of engaging in a cover-up without actually alleging a crime. It was a very positive meeting, a, a respectful sharing of ideas, and a, a, I think a very impressive presentation by our chairs. Uh, we do believe that it's important for the, the, to follow the facts. Uh, we believe that no one is above the law, including the President of the United States, and we believe that the President of the United States is engaged in a cover-up, in a cover-up, and that was the nature of the meeting. Okay, so... This set off President Trump. She accused Trump of engaging in a cover-up right before she headed off to the White House. And she played this effectively as well as she could because what she did was she set Trump off, which was her goal. And the goal of, of somebody like Pelosi, who's trying to troll Trump 
is to make Trump look as though he is volatile. As I said a couple of days ago on the show, the Democratic strategy for 2020 is not to suggest that America is going badly because America isn't really going badly. The economy is going pretty well. We don't have any serious foreign crises on the horizon. All of that is true. So instead, what they have to do is paint President Trump as uniquely volatile. That is a fruitful line of attack because the president on a personal level does happen to be a volatile individual. And so the sole goal of Democrats from now until 2020 is going to make Trump look as unpredictable as possible, to make people feel disquieted with him, to make him look as though he is reacting in extreme fashion to, to things. And that's exactly what they accomplished yesterday. So Trump walks into a meeting supposedly about infrastructure, and then he walks right out. He, say, he, he apparently told the members of the meeting that he was not interested in negotiating with them on infrastructure so long as they were trying to investigate him for the possibility of impeachment. Apparently, he walked in, according to a White House official, he walked into the cabinet room and Nancy Pelosi was there and so was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. I've never understood exactly why Trump is having these meetings with Schumer and Pelosi. Why not just have the meeting with Pelosi and Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell is a clever politician who will be able to provide the opposition necessary to Pelosi without Trump actually having to do it himself. It makes more sense if you're negotiating an infrastructure bill to have, you know, the heads of the various of the various branches of the legislature. You want the head of the House and the head of the Senate, not the Democratic head of the House and the Democratic head of the Democratic Party in the Senate, which is a minority. In any case, Trump walks into this meeting and according to CNBC, he effectively said to the visiting Democrats he wanted to do infrastructure, but, quote, you're focusing on investigating. When you're done, we can talk. Meeting over. And then Trump walked out onto the lawn over at the Rose Garden and he had a podium that was fixed up with a placard that said on it, $35 million spent, 2,000 interviews, 18 angry Democrats, no collusion, no obstruction. He had this, I kid you not, pasted on the front of the <laughs> which is really great. I mean, it looked, it looked like something out of Wheel of Fortune. I mean, it was, it was a Bob Barker move by President Trump. So the president gets up behind that podium, supposedly spontaneously, and then proceeds to rip into the Democrats. I just saw that Nancy Pelosi, just before our meeting, made a statement that we believe that the president of the United States is engaged in a cover-up. Well, it turns out I'm the most, and I think most of you would agree to this, I'm the most transparent president probably in the history of this country. Things are going well. And I said, let's have the meeting on infrastructure. We'll get that done easily. That's one of the easy ones. And instead of walking in happily into a meeting, I walk in to look at people that had just said that I was doing a cover-up. I don't do cover-ups. You people know that probably better than anybody. <laughs> My favorite part of this particular quote from President Trump is him appealing to the media who hate his guts. You guys know more than anybody that I'm super transparent. Yeah, th those media members, those are not your friends, as, as President Trump obviously knows. And when he says that, that he doesn't engage in cover-ups, I mean, we do have a sign check like from you to Stormy Daniels, so there, there is that. Right? But, but that's not the kind of cover-up that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. What he means is, I'm not covering up for any criminal activity, and there's no evidence that I am, which is obviously true to this, to this point. I mean, we've seen no evidence of actual criminal activity at this point in time. So people on the right are saying that President Trump was right to do this, that he's right to walk out. I think it's justifiable for him to walk out. I am not sure that it is the smartest move for him to walk out. As an aficionado of walkouts, I can say that I think that the President of the United States, he has a case here and an emotional case here. I don't know that it is his best play. The reason I say that is because right now, if you look at the polling data, 
President Trump is not popular enough to be reelected. I mean, just by polling data, he needs to raise his numbers. He could be reelected in spite of the polling data. He did pull a rabbit out of the hat last time. But these are not good numbers for an incumbent president. There's a new poll from Monmouth University released on Wednesday. It found that only 37% of voters believe that President Trump should be reelected. Fully 60% say they think it's time to have somebody new in the White House. That is the highest percentage of voters saying they are eager for a change since Monmouth first began asking the question last November. His approval rating is currently at 40% positive, 52% negative. That is at the low end of his approval ratings for the past 12 months. The poll also found deep pessimism about the direction of the country. 29% of respondents saying the U.S. is on the right track. 63% saying it was headed in the wrong direction. Those are astonishing numbers given the fact that the economy is this good. 56% of voters, however, say that President Trump should not be impeached and compelled to leave office. 39% support impeachment and removal. So here is where we are, and it's a weird political situation. What Democrats want to do is not impeach him, but to continue people feeling really uncomfortable with Trump. So anything that exacerbates that feeling of discomfort with President Trump is what Democrats are going to push at this point short of impeachment. They don't want to impeach him because they feel like he's easier to beat in an election than to effectively impeach. I mean, it'll get to the Senate. He's not going anywhere. According to polls, most Americans want the end of these of the, of the Russia investigation. So 53% of Americans say that we should drop these investigations on Russia and move on to other issues. But and 58% of Americans feel like they've heard enough about the Mueller report. But among Democrats, 95% of Democrats say that the Trump administration should coordinate and cooperate with the congressional investigation. 77% of independents say that, that the president should. 54% of Republicans say that he should. So in other words, the, the American people are, are split. They do not want impeachment. They're not super interested in the investigations, but they also don't want to see the president appear to be stonewalling. And so the president's best move here is to, sure, protest that this is a giant waste of time. But for him to play above the fray would actually be in his benefit right now. It would be politically beneficial for the president of the United States, instead of walking out of negotiations on infrastructure, it would be politically beneficial for him to sit down and, and simply say in front of the cameras, you should open it up. He should, he should open it up in front of the cameras. He should say, listen, Nancy, you've been saying some very nasty and unjustified things about me. You don't have evidence that I've done anything criminal. You yourself have said that you're not interested in impeaching me. So this is all politically motivated stuff. Now let's, let's get down to business and let's do infrastructure. Right? That would be the way to do this. Instead, it now appears that the president is holding infrastructure hostage in order to get them to, in to end investigations into him personally, which is exactly what Democrats wanted him to do. Right? I think that the president did politically walk into a trap after thinking about this for 24 hours. Again, I have a lot of sympathy for the president here. The president was ambushed by Democrats. There is no question. And on an emotional level, I get it. I get him saying, listen, I'm not working with you guys. You're jerks. Out. Totally get that. On a political level, it would be better for the president for him to walk in and better for Trump for him to walk in and say to Democrats, listen, you guys are being jerks. You guys are being terrible. You're, you're driving all of this partisan political nonsense. I'm going to try to work with you anyway because that's how magnanimous I am. Magnanimity, magnanimity in the face of cruelty is very often a winning political strategy. We'll get to more of this in just a second. First, I need to talk to you about one of my favorite companies, the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, the USCCA. It's an organization that helps educate, train, and legally protect responsibly armed Americans. They truly stand up for the rights of citizens like you and like me. Their work helps make sure that this country will always stay free and safe. If you want to find out more, just text the word WIN to 87222 right now. There's no catch. Your information is always kept safe. Plus, as a special bonus, the USCCA will give you 10 free chances to win 1000 bucks when you text in, which is a pretty awesome deal. Just think. 
That could mean 10 chances to put towards something like an AR-15 for free. You heard me. You can pick up a brand new AR-15 just by texting the word WIN to 87222. And the USCCA wants to make sure if you're a law-abiding citizen that you have a chance to own arms. On top of your 10 entries to win, the first 3,000 people to text in will also be sent a free concealed carry guide just for entering, which means you can find out how to better protect yourself, your loved ones, your rights, and you might get a new gun. This special offer ends May 31st, so don't wait. Text WIN to 87222 and find out more. Get your free guide. USCC is a great organization, great educational materials, great legal materials. Text WIN to 87222 to get involved. WIN to 87222. Alrighty, so the Democrats obviously are playing this up to the hilt. So now they're playing the reverse, which is we're investigating Trump because Trump is deeply corrupt and deeply evil. Also, we are magnanimous. We want to get infrastructure done. That's a position that Trump should have taken. He should have said, Democrats are partisan hacks. Also, I still want to work with them to get things done. And if they refuse to get things done, that would be on them. The president looking magnanimous and Democrats in Congress looking wild-eyed should be what President Trump is looking for in terms of a political outcome. Instead, I think he sort of achieved a little bit of the reverse yesterday. Here's Chuck Schumer yesterday, the Senate minority leader, saying, we believe in infrastructure. We just, but President Trump is intransigent and mean. To watch what happened in the White House would make your jaw drop. We Democrats believe in infrastructure. And so despite signals in the previous few weeks that he might not be serious, we went forward. We came here very seriously. We were interested. We are interested in doing infrastructure. It's clear the president isn't. He is looking for every excuse. Okay, so this is the typical Democratic play here is that the president doesn't want infrastructure, that he's walking away from the deal. Now, again, I think the president probably would love an infrastructure bill. It would be another thing that he can brag about. I'm not in favor of an infrastructure bill. I think a lot of congressional Republicans aren't in favor of spending trillions of dollars on infrastructure concerns that are generally not needed on the federal level and can be handled appropriately at the state level. But again, the angle the Democrats have taken here is a smart political angle. Here's Nancy Pelosi shedding crocodile tears over all of this after saying that the president engaged in a cover-up, deliberately trying to provoke him into a blow-up, and then the blow-up happens. Then she says, no, we went there with the spirit of bipartisanship in our hearts. Oh, God, she's grating. Hopeful, optimistic, and um, seeing the necessity for a big infrastructure uh, initiative for our country, we went uh, in the spirit of bipartisanship to find common ground with the president on this. Uh, this, he came into the room, made a statement that he made was, uh, I won't even characterize it. He just took a pass. And it just makes me wonder why, why he did that. In any event, I pray for the president of the United States. Sure. And I pray for the United States of America. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm sure. Wow, what a grave crisis we have that we're not passing a crap infrastructure bill with Nancy Pelosi's help, I pray for... Yeah, I'm sure that Nancy gets on her knees every night and prays for the president. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's a thing that's real. And in a second, I'm going to show you how cynical this play is by Democrats, because it actually is. This is a deeply cynical play by Democrats. So the same Nancy Pelosi, who's there saying, we went to the White House with the spirit of bipartisanship, five minutes after saying the president was engaged in a cover-up without any evidence that the president has covered up illegal activity. Then she got out there, and she, and she ridiculed President Trump. Today was the day he was supposed to tell us how what he would be willing to uh, support and pay for for all of that. Instead, in a, an orchestrated, almost to a oh, poor baby point of view, he came into the room and said that I said that he was engaged in a cover-up and he couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly engage in a conversation or an infrastructure. 
as long as, as long as we are investigating him. And we thought we had some level of agreement, but you never know with this president of the United States. So that's what happened this morning. It was very, very, very strange. Very strange because he's a strange man. He's volatile. Again, this is what Democrats were looking for, and they got it. This was a cynical play by Democrats, and it happened to work. I don't blame the president on an emotional level for doing what he did. Politically speaking, was it the smartest move? Probably not. Again, it gives, it gives Democrats room to run because the image that they are trying to paint of President Trump is that he is a volatile character. Maxine Waters is out there still prodding at the president, saying that Trump is going to back down. In the end, he's going to back down. He's taking this strong position on no negotiation with Democrats, and he's a coward, so he'll back down. This is Democrats trying to troll Trump. Now, Trump is a master troll. He is great at getting under Democrats' skin. The problem is that they are effectively getting under his skin at this point. Here's Maxine Waters trying to do just that. As I think about this uh, threat that he made today, and I'm thinking about who really benefits uh, from infrastructure, not only will the citizens of this country benefit if we're able to fix the roads and the bridges and the waterways and all of that, but he's got a lot of friends that I believe in construction and development and who would also benefit. So he may have to back off of that. Right, so we want to do infrastructure and he's just mean and he's just cruel. Now, as I say, the Democrats here are incredibly cynical. They're incredibly cynical. If President Trump were, would have walked into the room and said, here's my infrastructure package, they would have walked out of the room and they would have said, we can't negotiate with a corrupt, evil president. Right? That, that's, what, that's what would have happened. They would have said that he's under investigation and we're not going to help him. And then there would have been no deal. No deal is in the offing. The fact is that unlike the Republicans under Newt Gingrich with Bill Clinton, who were willing to move to the center with Bill Clinton on a variety of topics ranging from Glass-Steagall to welfare reform, Democrats have been absolutely unavailing in their unwillingness to work with President Trump. They just are not willing to do it. They're looking for an excuse, in other words, to beat up on President Trump. Stephen Colbert, who is the id of the Democratic Party at this point, so much comedy on, on late night television. Here is Stephen Colbert yesterday mocking President Trump for walking out. According to people in the room, Trump walked in, didn't shake anyone's hand or take a seat, and left before anyone else could speak. All told, it was over in three minutes. According to Stormy Daniels, that's two bonus minutes. Now, Trump walked out the door straight to the Rose Garden for a nationally televised hissy fit, complete with a podium adorned with a pre-printed sign that said, no collusion, no obstruction. So Trump has a clear stance on infrastructure. It's my way or no highways. Okay, this is the pitch that Democrats are making. Now, as I say, this is super cynical. It's not that Democrats are deeply invested in infrastructure, and it's not even that Democrats are deeply invested in impeachment or investigations. They're invested in the creation of an image about President Trump. So take Nancy Pelosi as an example. Here is Nancy Pelosi yesterday saying that maybe the President Trump is impeachable. Maybe he ought to be impeached. Here's the Speaker of the House. The fact is, in plain sight, in the public domain, this president is obstructing justice and he's engaged in a cover-up. And that could be an impeachable offense. It's not just the substance that we're after and we want to have to give the truth to the American people. But in striving to get that, the intervention that the, um, uh, that the obstruction that the administration is engaged in is... Um, as they say, the cover-up is frequently worse 
than the crime. Okay, so she's admitting right there, there is no crime. She's focusing on obstruction, which is not occurring, by the way. There is no legal obstruction that occurs when the executive branch says, we are not going to turn over records to the, to the legislative branch. That is not obstruction under any possible definition of obstruction of justice in criminal law. And Nancy Pelosi knows this. So on the one hand, she wants to say that Trump is impeachable. On the other hand, she says, I don't think we're going to get any new information from impeachment hearings. She's saying this stuff in the same interview. The press is just totally obsessed with the uh, impeachment part of it, not obsessed enough to write the particulars of what we're doing in our committees and how important that is, but just to say, when are you going to do that? To your point, I'm not sure that we get any more information by instituting an, an impeachment inquiry, but if we thought that we would, that's a judgment we have to, that we would have to make. It's a cynical play. She's trying to create an image of Trump, she doesn't have the stones to actually push impeachment because Democrats don't want to push impeachment. Even Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff, who President Trump has termed a pencil neck. Even Adam Schiff, the congressman from out here in California from my district, Schiff says, listen, we're not interested in impeachment. This is the guy who went on TV every night for two years and claimed that President Trump was a cat's paw for the Russians. Here's Adam Schiff. I do think that, that notwithstanding all of that, that there is a valid argument to be made that if you fail to bring an impeachment, even knowing it would be unsuccessful, but if you fail to bring an impeachment, what does that say about this president's conduct and whether he is fit for office? Um, and so I, I do think that that has to be weighed, though, against the, the other concern, which is what does an acquittal say? Because then you have a, an adjudication that this conduct is not an impeachable offense. Okay, so in other words, we don't want to impeach. We just want to paint a picture of Trump as a bad guy, but we don't want to impeach James Clyburn, who's the House Majority Whip. He came forth, he said, a majority of Democrats are not in favor of impeachment. A majority of Democrats. So this is all just a cynical game. It's a cynical game. And what President Trump should do is he should point out it's a cynical game. They don't want to impeach me. These investigations are all a partisan misdirect. And I am focused on the business of the American people, which is why I'm even sitting here with people who insult me to my face every single day. Right? That would have been the best move for him yesterday as opposed to the storming out and the Rose Garden press conference and all the rest of it. Here's James Clyburn saying just this. How many Democrats in your caucus do you think would support the opening of an impeachment inquiry? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. The vast majority would, in fact, support impeachment, just not now. The issue now is whether or not that is something that should be done today or tomorrow, or whether or not we go through a process by which we build a foundation upon which to successfully impeach the president. That's a no. That's a no. So Democrats are not interested in impeachment because they can read the polls just like everybody else can, but they are interested in making it seem like the president is impeachable without an actual offense. In just a second, I want to talk about why Democrats are playing this game as opposed to, you know, playing the policy game. But first, let's talk about something we can all agree on, saving money. The reality is, if you're not shopping around, you're probably not saving money. So what if there was a way for somebody to do the shopping around for you? Well, that's exactly what Honey does. Honey is a free tool that you download to your computer's browser. While you shop online, Honey scans the internet for coupon codes and other discounts, and then it automatically applies the coupon with the biggest savings to your cart at checkout. Just like magic. It takes zero effort to install. Just two clicks, you are ready to start saving anytime you shop online. There's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use, easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. Don't take it from me. Take it from our listeners. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. 
That is joinhoney.com slash Ben. Honey, it's the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money. I use Honey all the time. I've got it running in the background of my computer. I shop at Amazon like all the time and Honey has saved me an untold amount of money. It's great. I mean, you literally do nothing and then it saves you money by applying all the, the coupon codes that it can find. Go to joinhoney.com slash Ben. That is joinhoney.com slash Ben. There's no reason to miss out on saving money. Joinhoney.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. So the reason that Democrats are focused like a laser beam on creating this image of President Trump is because on policy, they are far too radical for the American people. Yesterday was replete with examples of this. So there's one Democrat who actually had her portion of the congressional record wiped out. Like they actually went out and they struck this, I believe, from the congressional record. Her name is Underwood, this particular representative. And she was confronting DHS, the, the Department of Homeland Security, and CBP, the Border Patrol. And she accused them of wanting children crossing the border to die. She's accusing members of the U.S. government who are tasked with keeping Americans safe of wanting and purposely killing migrant children. It's an amazing, amazing clip. People keep dying, and so this is obviously more than a question of resources. At this point, with five kids that have died, 5,000 separated from their families, I feel like, and the evidence um, is really clear, that this is intentional. It's intentional. It's a policy choice being made on purpose by this administration, and it's cruel and inhumane. That's an appalling accusation, and our men and women fight hard to protect people in our custody every single day. It is an appalling accusation. This is the face that Democrats want to present? This is where President Trump should be putting his focus, not on the investigations, not on the impeachment stuff. It's going nowhere. The media will run with it, but it's done no significant damage to Trump. His approval ratings have been almost exactly the same for his entire presidency. They've always been between 40 and 44 percent. Occasionally they rise above that. But the reality is that he has been extraordinarily stable in terms of what people think of him. What is not stable is what people think of Democrats. How is the administration not already running with this with an ad of this lady saying this? With an, with an ad showing people crossing the border illegally in Tijuana trying to rush that border, and then this lady saying that CBP are a bunch of, of cruel, inhumane who are trying to kill migrant children. That, by the way, is Representative Lauren Underwood of Illinois, when, and the person she's speaking to is Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan. It's an, that is such an astonishing and evil statement by her, that this is intentional, that CBP is trying to kill these kids. It's absurd. You know who's denying beds for the kids, by the way? It's Democrats. President Trump and the Trump administration have been asking. The New York Times itself said that Democrats should go along with this, the editorial board. Republicans have been asking for more beds, more funding for facilities along the border, and Democrats have been turning that down. Instead, people are being housed in in not great conditions, specifically because they don't have the funding that is necessary thanks to Democratic intransigence. And all the migrants who are dying, the, the five migrant deaths she's talking about, these are kids who are being brought in who haven't been fed in three days, haven't had any water, and by the time they reach CBP, it's too late for CBP to do anything. By and large, that is what is happening here. It's not CBP throwing kids into cages and then starving them to death. What a despicable, evil statement. Now, President Trump has something to run on here. This is the stuff President Trump can be running on, actual policy. Not all of this talk about... I understand. Listen, if it were me and I were under attack all day by the Democrats... Any human being would want to fight back against that the way that President Trump is fighting back against Really, I truly believe this. Any human being who's under the sort of assault that President Trump is right now would be just as angry as President Trump is if you believed you were innocent. Okay, but that is not where he's going to make his political hay. He's going to win political victory on the back of Democrats being extraordinarily extreme. 
And Katie Pavlich has an article over at Town Hall today talking about murders by MS-13. She says two illegal aliens, one who came to the United States in 2015 as part of a family unit and the other unaccompanied in 2016, were released by the Prince George's County Police Department after being charged with attempted first-degree murder and other crimes. Upon release, they then killed 14-year-old girl Ariana Fuentes Diaz and dumped her body in a creek. Prince George's County, which contains Baltimore, is a sanctuary for illegal aliens. Both are members of the extremely violent gang MS-13. ICE released a statement. They said, following the recent arrest of two unlawfully present teens suspected in the violent murder of a young girl in Maryland, ICE officers in Baltimore are again seeking to take custody of the illegal aliens through the ICE detainer process following the Prince George's County Detention Center failure to cooperate. In other words, Baltimore refused to basically turn these folks over under an ICE detainer request. That is what President Trump should be running on. And Democrats simultaneously claiming that our Border Patrol officers who are risking life and limb to protect the country every day, that those Border Patrol officers are actually emissaries of evil who wish to kill children. Seems to me that would be worth running on. Or maybe you run against the Democrats on abortion. Nancy Pelosi basically just suggested that anyone who is pro-life is a white man who fears a woman. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, you know, our, our wonderful moderate Speaker of the House who just wants to get infrastructure done for the good of the people and prays for President Trump and the country every night. Here's what she thinks of white guys. This is about lack of respect for women. This is about some fear that is in our community, our society, about women having the, the ability to have the t- size and timing of their families, working with their husbands, with their doctors, with their God, whatever it is. When you see them lined up in the, in the floor of the house, guys, 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 just white guys, 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 <laughs> signing for their discharge petition uh, in a way that is really doesn't even represent the truth of what they are. And they're white guys who fear women. That's, that's the case the Democrats want to make. Trump can certainly run against that. Or how about Ilhan Omar, the beloved representative who appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone with Nancy Pelosi and who has spent a vast bevy of her time in Congress rebutting allegations of anti-Semitism because she keeps saying unfortunate Jew-hating things. Here's Ilhan Omar attacking every conservative in America by suggesting that if you are pro-life, it's because you're actually a secret religious fanatic who wants to keep women under your thumb. This is coming from Ilhan Omar. Okay, here she says. Let's just be honest. For the religious right, this isn't simply about their care or concern for life. If they cared about or were concerned about children, they would be concerned about the children that are being detained and those that are dying in camps across our borders. Or the children who are languishing in hunger and facing homelessness. Okay, so it's, it's that pro-life people don't actually care about children. They're just Christian fanatics. They're evil. They're evil. Okay, that President Trump has such a great thing to run on his economic record and such a great thing to run against. Nancy Pelosi and Ilhan Omar and Representative Underwood. He has, he has a lot to run against. What he can't do is get distracted by what Democrats are trying to distract him with to make him appear volatile, to, to play to his worst instincts. And that is all the investigation kind of stuff. Now, again, I have emotional sympathy for the president. I'll explain why I have emotional sympathy, not only for, for the president on, on this, but also for a lot of Republicans who say, yeah, I'm, I'm glad President Trump is just punching back. Punch. I'll explain in just a second first. 
What if buying a house was like buying a timeshare? You show up with a herd of other people that also wanted the free gift, and then you're in a pressure cooker sales presentation for 90 minutes or three hours. You don't have the opportunity to have your real estate agent professionally negotiate the price. There's no inspector to uncover hidden problems, no loan officer to explain every detail of the loan terms, interest rate, fees, payment schedule, total cost. Folks, you wouldn't buy a home this way. That's exactly how the majority of timeshares are sold. If you are stuck in a timeshare, if you called the resort, they won't let you out. If you've tried selling it and you can't, call Timeshare Exit Team. They will fight for you. I trust them. I know the folks who founded it. You can trust them too. Text BEN to 797979 for a free consultation. That is B-E-N to 797979. A lot of these timeshares, man, you're stuck there. You paid like 20,000 bucks for a week and then you have annual upkeep fees and you can't use it many of the weeks that you want it. And then you can't get rid of it because these things are on, like it's, it's impossible to sell them. You need to talk to my friends at Timeshare Exit Team. Text my name, Ben, to 797979 for that free consultation. There's no reason why you should continue to suffer under this particular burden. Message and data rates may apply. The folks at Timeshare Exit Team have helped over 16,000 people get out of their timeshares. They can help you as well. Text Ben to 797979 for that free consultation. And here's the, the good news. I mean, if, you, if they can't do anything for you, they're not going to charge you. Text Ben to 797979 for that free consultation consultation. Okay, well, I want to get to sort of the emotional reason why many Republicans are fine with President Trump punching back at Democrats on impeachment and, and all, on all the rest of this in just one second. First, you should go over and subscribe over at dailywire.com. For $9.99 a month, you get the rest of this show. You get two additional hours of the show every day. You also get our Sunday special on Saturdays. Our Sunday special this week features former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. We are imperfect, but compared to any other society I'm aware of, we have a stronger system of freedom, a greater capacity for people to rise, and a greater awareness that anybody can come from anywhere and become an American. The conversation with Speaker Gingrich is really good. It covers an enormous amount of ground. We talk about everything from President Trump's record to his possibilities of reelection, we talk about Newt Gingrich's own record as Speaker of the House, when impeachment is appropriate, when impeachment is not appropriate. It really gets into some deep waters. So you're going to want to check that out. When you subscribe, you get that on Saturday as opposed to Sunday. And you get our extra questions behind the paywall, which is pretty awesome. Also, when you get the annual subscription, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. Go check that out right now. It is indeed spectacular and will fill you with just a certain sense of emotional fulfillment and joy that I'm not sure that you can get anywhere else. Maybe you can, but not from us. In any case, if you want to work here, there's also an opportunity for you to do that. Our business is growing rapidly. That means we are excited to be offering more opportunities to become part of our in-house team. Head on over to dailywire.com careers. See if any of our job openings would be right for you or someone you know. We are expanding quickly and we have a lot of great jobs available. If you want to work for the show, go over to dailywire.com careers. Next thing you know, you might be working out here in beautiful, sunny Los Angeles with all of the glitz and paparazzi. I mean, man, what, what a lifestyle it is, slaving away for my show for hours a day in a dark, dingy room. Well, that's great. Well, I, I think I'm not telling this right. Okay, go, go over to dailywire.com careers and go check it out if you're interested in working here. Also, please subscribe at YouTube and iTunes. Please leave us a review. It always helps us. We are the fastest growing and largest conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So one of the reasons I think that a lot of Republicans are sympathetic to President Trump's emotional response to Democrats is because on an emotional level, it's, it's very much justified. And Republicans look at Democrats and they say these people have been getting away with 
in, in the case of Ted Kennedy, actual murder for years, or at least manslaughter for years. Democrats have been getting away with this stuff in the face of the press without any serious blowback, without any serious long-term repercussions for years. Democrats have been deeply dishonest about a lot of this stuff. Democrats have, have promoted some of the worst people in America and then have paid no political price for that. Meanwhile, they're spending all their time creating the impression that Trump is impeachable when, again, they have not provided evidence of any impeachable offense that the president has committed. You may not like what the president did. I don't like a lot of the things that are reported in the Mueller report. I think he looks like he's volatile. I think that he looks like he is not stable when it comes to his handling of his own administration. You know, all of that may be true, but the Democrats have provided no evidence of impeachable offense. So if you're Trump or you're a Trump supporter and you look at this, you say, of course he's reacting like this. He's a human being. And again, on an emotional level, I think that's correct. It's hard not to look at what has happened with Michael Avenatti, for example, and not feel like President Trump should be able to punch whomever he pleases in the media and among Democrats. Michael Avenatti was arrested yesterday. He was charged again by the feds. This time he was charged with forging Stormy Daniels' signature to steal $300,000 from her. So it turns out that President Trump wasn't the only famous man to screw Stormy Daniels. Apparently, Michael Avenatti has now been charged with fraud and aggravated identity theft for allegedly snatching a total of 300 grand from Stormy Daniels and spending it on personal expenses like airfare, hotels, restaurant delivery, and to bankroll his law firm. Federal prosecutors in New York announced the latest charges against the Newport Beach litigator soon after ABC News reported that Avenatti was expected to be charged with additional financial crimes. The 48-year-old lawyer faces a slew of charges on both coasts, including wire fraud, bank fraud, and extortion. On Wednesday, a grand jury also indicted Avenatti for trying to extort the footwear giant Nike to the tune of 25 million bucks. What does this have to do with Trump and Republicans reacting in rageful fashion to Democrat allegations of impeachable offenses? Well, when you watch how the media treated Avenatti for years, knowing that the dude was a corrupt sleazebag, it's pretty astonishing. The Washington Free Beacon put together this particular, this particular montage of famous media figures praising Michael Avenatti as the savior of the republic. He's Donald Trump's worst nightmare, Michael Avenatti. Joining us once again is Michael Avenatti. Let's bring in Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Michael Avenatti, thank you very much. He's out there saving the <laughs> Look, country. Don Meacham says he may be the savior of the republic. You are something of a folk hero now. I owe Michael Avenatti an apology. I've been saying enough already, Michael. I've seen you everywhere. What do you have left to say? I was wrong, brother. You have a lot to say. I uh, am just dying to hear what you think. Okay, so this is how the media treated Avenatti for years. And Republicans rightly say, okay, and now you guys are going to be the moral conscience of the nation? These are the same Democrats who still have not actually demanded that Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia resign over his blackface photo from 1985 medical school yearbook. Now, I, by the way, opposed him resigning for that because I think that people do change over time. I think that you have to look at the totality of how people act over the course of their life. But Northam handled this thing incredibly badly. You'll remember that after that blackface photo emerged originally, Northam originally acknowledged it was him in the photo and then apologized. My fellow Virginians, earlier today, I released a statement apologizing for behavior in my past that falls far short of the standard you set for me when you elected me to be your governor. I believe you deserve to hear directly from me. That photo and the racist and offensive attitudes it represents does not reflect that person I am today or the way that I have conducted myself as a soldier, a doctor, and a public servant. I am deeply sorry. Okay, he said that yesterday. Investigators in Virginia came out with a report what did the report find? Well, it found 
that they couldn't identify whether it was him in the yearbook. Well, he already admitted it was him in the yearbook. And then he backtracked it and said, well, maybe it wasn't me. Maybe I was in another blackface photo, but not that blackface photo. Of course, they can't identify him in the photo. It's impossible to identify him from the photo. The pixelation sucks. One of the people in the photo is wearing a KKK hat. You can't identify what his face looks like under the KKK hat from a photo from 1985. Nonetheless, they did a full-scale investigation in Virginia, and voila, came up with nothing. To the photograph on Governor Northam's personal page, depicting an individual in blackface and an individual in KKK robes, we could not conclusively determine the identity of either individual depicted in that photograph. The governor himself has made inconsistent public statements in this regard. No individual that we interviewed has told us from personal knowledge that the governor is in that photograph, and no individual with knowledge has come forward to us to report that the governor is in the photograph. Well, I guess the Northam's okay now. Republicans look at this stuff and they tear their hair out. They say, okay, where, where's the media attention on the fact that Ralph Northam admitted he was there? and then launched an investigation to find that he was not maybe there. And yet he's still governor of Virginia, no problem. Everybody, no fuss, no muss, everything's great. How, how is that even a possibility? How is it the media that, that trotted out Michael Avenatti to the tune of probably hundreds of millions of dollars in free media coverage? How is it that that media is, still has credibility when talking about the morality of, of President Trump? Again, when there are no serious allegations of impeachable offenses that have been put forward at this time. You understand why Trump is reacting the way he is. That doesn't mean it's necessarily the smartest move for him to react the way that he is. Okay, meanwhile, Democrats are, are moving in defense of Elizabeth Warren. Warren has been gaining in the polls. There's some really interesting polls that show that Warren is picking up a lot of Bernie Sanders' support, that Sanders is starting to flag, that he's starting to fade a little bit, and that Elizabeth Warren, whose shtick is that she has a plan for everything, which doesn't mean that she has a good plan for everything. Stalin had a seven-year plan also. You know, she, she has a plan for everything. Well, that's starting to pick up some ground among progressives. But there's an article today in the Washington Post about how much money Elizabeth Warren was pulling down while she was a lawyer. Apparently, she charged as much as 675 bucks an hour, which seems like a pretty solid fee. I mean, that's a partnership fee at a major law firm. 675 bucks an hour to advise a variety of clients from people with asbestos disease to a corporation facing possible liability over ruptured breast implants. She consulted for more than a dozen committees representing claimants and creditors in many cases. She worked for a number of corporate clients. She advised the former directors of Getty Oil during Texaco's bankruptcy. Ooh, Getty Oil, working for the oil companies. She served as an expert witness for the Fuller Austin Insulation Company in a case against insurers. She actually served for Dow Chemical, which she advised in the mid-1990s. Dow Chemicals denied that it played a role in designing or making breast implants that allegedly created claims for women. In this case, according to, according to her list of cases, it says Elizabeth served as consultant to ensure adequate compensation for women who claimed injury from silicon breast implants who otherwise might not have received anything when Dow Chemical filed for bankruptcy. Thanks to, in part to Elizabeth's effort, Dow Corning created a $2.35 billion fund to compensate women claiming injury from Dow Corning's silicone breast implants. But she, she did work for Dow Chemical in that bankruptcy process. She worked in some 50-odd cases. She was taking on outside legal work as early as 1991, and then that work picked up as soon as she joined the faculty at Harvard Law School. What's hilarious is that she's pulling down all this quan, and suddenly you have AOC defending all of this. So AOC tweeted out today, breaking news, lady had a job, got paid more than me. Nice work. 
Now, do the amount of Wall Street, big pharma, and fossil fuel money presidential candidates accepted over their careers and how much they're taking now. So I'm confused. If she took money from Dow Chemical, if you're a Republican, there's no doubt AOC would be talking about how evil this person is. But it's Elizabeth Warren, so the headline is, according to AOC, lady had a job, got paid more than me, which is reminiscent of when Bernie Sanders said, sure, I made a million bucks, I wrote a best-selling book. Funny how the principles of capitalism suddenly are inoffensive when they benefit people that AOC happens to like. Okay, in other news, I do want to talk about this, this Quentin Tarantino thing. So Quentin Tarantino is obviously this, this very famous filmmaker. He's made a bunch of, of huge hits from Kill Bill to Pulp Fiction. I happen not to be a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino. I think that he has a unique talent for putting together great scenes and an inability to put together great movies. This is sort of my take on Tarantino, is that he has these scenes that are embedded in movies that I don't love altogether, but the scenes themselves are really terrific. He's almost a YouTube filmmaker. It's like watching a series of really great YouTube videos that don't necessarily hold together as an overarching plot. In any case, that's my artistic critique of Tarantino. But Tarantino handles himself with the press, I think, in a perfectly appropriate fashion. He took a shellacking yesterday publicly. Why? Well, he was asked about the fact that one of the, that Margot Robbie, who is a pretty good actress, stars as Sharon Tate in his new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which stars Brad Pitt Leonardo DiCaprio, and Leonardo DiCaprio, among others. Well, Tarantino was asked by a reporter why Margot Robbie didn't have more speaking lines, the implication being that he's a sexist for not allowing Margot Robbie more speaking lines. Now, this is an incredibly silly allegation. Kill Bill, which has two volumes with Uma Thurman, the main character is not only a woman, she's a woman who proceeds to slaughter about half a dozen men per movie. There, there are other powerful female characters. Lucy Liu stars as a powerful female character in Kill Bill. There are powerful female characters in Pulp Fiction. Uma Thurman also plays uh, a key role in that film. Also, the, the basic idea that in film, the most important characters are the ones who speak the most is simply not true. Godzilla doesn't have tons of lines in the movie Godzilla. There, there, there are lots and lots of great characters in the history of film who actually do not speak all that much. Very often, it's peripheral characters who do a lot of the speaking or characters who are main but have to drive the narrative forward, but they aren't actually the, the villain or the main character or anything like that. It's a typical trope of film. This, this silly notion that women have to speak most on film in order for the film to be not sexist is stupid. And so Tarantino just refuses to take the question. He just basically says, this is a bunch of nonsense. I'm not going to play this game. Quentin, you have put Margot Robbie, a, a very talented actress, um, actor, in your film. She was in the Leonardo with Leonardo in Wolf of Wall Street. I, Tanya, this is a you know person with a great deal of acting talent, and yet you haven't really given her many lines in the movie. And I wondered. I guess that was a deliberate choice on your part. And I just wanted to know why that was that we don't hear her actually speaking very much. And uh, Margo, I wanted you to also comment about being in the film in this part. Well, I just reject your hypotheses. Good for him. Good for him. This is not, and Margot Robbie's laughing at it because she knows it's stupid too. And she knows it's idiotic. And then she, Margot Robbie proceeds to defend Tarantino. She says, I think the moments I got on screen gave an opportunity to honor Sharon and her lightness. I don't think it was intended to delve deeper. As Brad mentioned, I think the tragedy was ultimately the loss of innocence and to show those wonderful sides of her could be done quickly without speaking. And I did feel like I had a lot of time to explore the character even without dialogue. Right, because that's how movies work. We live in such a stupid culture that if we do not have exact parody in every aspect of life, then we don't have overall parody. This is the, the mistaking of equality for sameness. Okay, equality is not sameness. 
my wife and I are equal. We are not the same. And my wife does things that I don't do, and I do things that my wife doesn't do. And when it comes to film, some of the most powerful female characters in film history do not have tons of lines. Some of the most powerful male stars in film history do not have tons of lines. Screen time isn't even a good proxy for the power of a character on film. The fact, though, that we are now dumbing down film to questions like this. The death of art comes when political correctness suggests that we have to set basic metrics as to what characters ought to and ought not to do. It's pretty amazing. We basically said in, in Hollywood in the 1930s, there was something called the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code was a voluntarily adopted code by Hollywood that was attempting to get rid of a lot of the more morally objectionable material in Hollywood. The Catholic Legion of Decency was basically threatening boycotts against a lot of the movies. So Hollywood adopted the Hayes Code. Well, we've now adopted a new political correctness code, a new political correctness code that is designed to shape movies in the least artistic possible way, not in alignment with the common morality of the time, but in alignment with woke sensibilities. That if we don't have a certain number of gay characters or a certain number of black characters or a certain number of lines for women, that the movie is therefore unfit for showing. You want to make a worse artistic world? This is a pretty easy way to do it. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. Uh, there's a, actually, believe it or not, a, a really good article in the New York Times today all about China using high-tech surveillance to subdue minorities. One of the things that's been very disquieting over the past, you know, well, really, the past century, is the willingness of a lot of folks on the left to give all sorts of kudos to authoritarian regimes that they think reflect their general economic values without reference to all the evil things that these regimes do in order to promote those economic values. So the New York Times famously defended Stalin in the middle of the Ukrainian famine. The, the, the media famously, I think it was Time Magazine, famously put Adolf Hitler on their cover as Man of the Year in 1936. There's always been this warmth on the part of some people on the left toward regimes that are authoritarian so long as they get things done. Thomas Friedman wrote a column a few years back about how maybe a one-party authoritarian state in China is less dangerous than America's political system. It was really an absurd column. Well, today, the New York Times has an actual good piece, and that piece talks about how China is subduing minorities. Say, a God's-eye view of Kashgar, an ancient city in western China, flashed onto a wall-sized wall screen with colorful icons marking police stations, checkpoints, and the locations of recent security incidents. At the click of a mouse, a technician explained, the police can pull up live video from any surveillance camera or take a closer look at anyone passing through one of the thousands of checkpoints in the city. To demonstrate, she showed how the system could retrieve the photo, home address, and official identification of a woman who had been stopped at a checkpoint on a major highway. The simulation presented in an industry fair in China, offered a rare look at a system that now peers into nearly every corner of Xinjiang, the troubled region where Kashgar is located. This is the vision of high-tech surveillance, precise, all-seeing, infallible, that China's leaders are investing billions of dollars in every year. The fact is that, that China is using this system to target millions of, they're called Uyghurs, I believe, I, I, my pronunciation here is not great, and members of other Muslim ethnic groups in Xinjiang. Treating a city like a battlefield, the platform was designed to apply the ideas of military cyber systems to civilian public security. The system taps into the networks of neighborhood informants, tracks individuals, analyzes their behavior, tries to anticipate potential crime, protest, or violence, and then recommends which security forces to deploy. You want to know how China is able to, to centralize authority? This is how they centralize authority. By the way, China also is violating every environmental rule known to man. All the folks in the West who are complaining about the West being a terrible place for the environment. Article today from the UK Daily Mail. 
China has spewed out 7,000 tons of a banned chemical since 2013, a shocking study has found. The emissions from northeastern China contributed between 40 and 60% to a global rise in CFC emissions. CFC are uh, uh, fluorocarbons, I believe. Chlorofluorocarbons, thank you. The source of the current increase in chlorofluorocarbon-11 is unknown. Scientists suggest it may originate from newly made insulation and cooling units. Global spikes in the emissions were traced to East Asia last year. The worst offending regions remained unconfirmed until now. Basically, China cheats on every agreement that it has signed. China centralizes authority and targets political opponents in an apartheid-like way. And yet, so many people are willing to overlook all of that and pretend that the United States is the bad guy when it comes to world conflicts. You know, read a book. Take a look around the world before you go there. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, thing that I hate, number one. So Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has now signed into law a bill that effectively protects companies like Chick-fil-A. And the idea is that there are a bunch of locations all around the country that have decided that they are going to prevent Chick-fil-A from actually coming into their communities on the basis of the fact that the owner of Chick-fil-A happens to be pro-traditional marriage. So Governor Abbott signed a bill, or he's preparing to sign legislation, that is a defense of Chick-fil-A and religious freedom, saying that if the owner decides on religious principles, that does not mean that you can ban his company. The bill is fast-tracked in the GOP-controlled legislature. Republicans have prohibited cities from taking adverse action against an individual based on contributions to religious organizations. So how did NBC headline this obvious bill that is designed to protect First Amendment freedoms? How exactly did they do that? Here's the headline. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has signaled he'll sign the controversial bill, which critics say is discrimination cloaked in religion. Because this is how the mainstream media treats conservative legislation. When, when it's pro-life legislation, they, they run headlines that say things like, signs of, uh, that, that support for pro-life legislation, critics say, is secretly designed to keep women down. Well, that's what they're doing here too. Greg Abbott signs a bill that is designed to prevent religious discrimination. And NBC News' headline is, critics say, is discrimination cloaked in religion? They would never do this about any Democratic bill, ever. It's pretty obvious what the media are doing, and it's pretty terrible. Okay, other things that I hate. So an NYU graduation speaker got up over the weekend. His name is Stephen William Thrash, a doctoral graduate. And um, in his speech, he decided to endorse BDS and call President Trump a fascist, which is pretty astonishing. BDS is a is a an anti-Semitic tactic that is designed by actual terrorist groups in order to undercut Israel's economic system. It is designed by fascists to forward the interests of fascists, and he calls President Trump a fascist. Here is Stephen William Thrash at NYU. It, 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 by the way, has any conservative spoken at a graduation like ever in the United States? The percentages are always minute. It's always like two or three, and there's a massive... Pro I, I remember when I graduated from UCLA... When I graduated from UCLA, our speaker was Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa, who was a Democrat politician. Laura Bush was scheduled to speak at the business school. Laura Bush, one of the most inoffensive people ever. The business school protested and rescinded the invitation. But you'll get crap like this in NYU graduation. Many of us have been together at Occupy Wall Street and at Black Lives Matter protests and at marches against that fascist in the White House that would not allow 56 different countries to cross borders and be together in a setting like this. And I am so proud so proud of NYU's chapters of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace 
and of GSOC and of the NYU student government and of my colleagues in the Department of Social and Cultural Analysis for supporting the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against the apartheid state government in Israel. Because this is what we are called to do. This is our NYU legacy. If your NYU legacy is supporting a terrorist-driven program that is designed to destroy the only democracy in the Middle East, then um, you know. The, uh, let me just say that your moral sensibility has been completely destroyed. The same thing is happening, by the way, over at, at UCLA. UCLA hosts these radical anti-Israel conferences that do, in fact, cross over into anti-Semitism. It's unfortunate. Our university systems, as my friend Dennis Prager says, they may have knowledge, but they lack wisdom, and that is obvious every single day. All right, well, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of The Ben Shapiro Show, so go subscribe. Otherwise, I'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. British Prime Minister Theresa May is on the rocks. A Catholic cardinal calls to hold off Islamic immigration to the West. And President Trump's administration admits it has barely built any wall. What will it mean for 2020? And will President Trump face the same fate as Theresa May? We will analyze. Check it out at The Michael Knowles Show. Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlow, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlow's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlow's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE.